Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome, super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. And I wanted to say how much I appreciate you because you are what makes this show possible. But whether you are new or returning today, you and I get to hang out with Michael Haig. Michael has been one of Hollywood's top story experts since 1985 and has empowered countless screenwriters, filmmakers, and novelists to improve their stories, advance their careers, and reach huge audiences. Michael has coached screenwriters, producers, stars, and directors on projects for every studio and network, including I Am Legend, Hancock, The Karate Kid, Concussion, and The Suicide Squad for Will Smith and Overbrook Entertainment, as well as projects starring Julia Roberts, Morgan Freeman, Alec Baldwin, Chris Pine, Reese Witherspoon, Tom Hardy, Tom Cruise, and many others. And in this episode, you're gonna learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. First, what project Michael did for no other reason than because it sounded fun to him and how that one project led to one of the most powerful actors in the world, Will Smith, and one of the most famous online entrepreneurs of all time, Russell Brunson, to reach out to work with him. Number two, Michael's storytelling made easy framework based on his work in Hollywood that you can use to increase your impact and profits by telling more effective stories. And number three, I did something that I was really nervous to do on this episode, but what I did is I asked Michael, if he would be willing to give feedback on my story live on the podcast. And he said, yes. So you'll hear me tell my origin story and hear the master at work as he helps me to improve it. And also I have some really exciting news to share. After we finished recording this episode, Michael offered to take a look at the revised version of the story after I incorporated his feedback and do another podcast episode on giving me live coaching and providing me feedback and suggestions for taking the story to the next level beyond what he already coached me on. So that episode will come immediately after this one. So if you want to see the V2 of my story after I was coached by a Hollywood legend and learn master level strategies and suggestions that Michael gave to create the third version of the story, which I am super excited about. So be on the lookout for that next week. But going back to today, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out before today's episode. And this week's shout out goes to Brittany AG, who left a review saying, this podcast comes with great strategies, relatable stories, and inspirational testimonials. If you are an entrepreneur or looking to improve your mindset, this podcast is a must. Brandon has a powerful mission and is already a very successful entrepreneur trying to help others along their own business endeavors. Do yourself and your business a favor and check it out. So thank you so much, Brittany AG, for leaving that review. And if you're listening to my voice right now and you're a returning listener and you haven't left a review yet, what you can do is you can head to sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review to find out exactly how you can leave a review. I know sometimes it's confusing depending on what app you're listening to this in. And so that it will show you exactly how to leave a review. And if you choose to leave an honest review. I have a little thank you gift I'd like to give you that will reveal how I get incredible guests like Michael to be on the show and how you can get the connections that you need to grow your business. And again, all those details can be found at sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. And the last thing I'll say is that I really, really enjoyed this conversation and you can tell that Michael is so passionate about stories and it is so cool to always spend time with people that are doing what they love and he was so generous with his time giving me feedback and giving you guys so much value. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my new friend, Michael Haig. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. 
So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Mr. Michael Haig, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and well, before we get started, before we kick things off, I just wanted to start by publicly, I know I was saying beforehand how much I appreciate your work, but I just wanted to thank you for everybody listening that I, I have really deeply respected your work with the Heroes 2 Journeys, your contribution to Russell Brunson's Expert Secrets, and your, your new book, Storytelling Made Easy, which is just absolutely incredible, and we'll, we'll dive into that, but just want to say thank you so much, and it's, it's incredible to have you here and to dive deep into all this stuff. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> hearing that. I'm glad you liked all those things, so yeah, thank of course. You. So, so let's start uh, in my research. I came across a spot that I thought would be really fun to start with. And so in my research, I found out that your dad growing up owned a candy store. And so I would, I would love for you to maybe tell the story about the, you know, growing up in that scenario and what that might maybe had to do with you starting on the journey of starting to fall in love with film and doing the work that you do today. Well, I think it had to do with the fact that I, I mean, I, as long as I can remember seeing movies, I love movies. Uh, and it goes all the way back uh, way, way before, before your demographic was born. But uh, uh, my dad had, had a candy store. I grew up in Salem, Oregon. And my dad had a candy store there. And it was just a few doors down from the, one of the movie theaters in Salem. And in those days, the movie theater did not popcorn in the theater. At least that one didn't. And so my dad, who sold popcorn and caramel corn along with everything else, he would pop the popcorn and then and then give it to the theater and then just put it in a warmer and that's how people got popcorn at the theater. Okay, so I, at this point I'm I'm little like I'm five or six maybe you know in that range you know, <clears throat> and so I love going to see movies already. So what he would do is whenever you know whenever I want to see a movie, he'd fill up a bag. <laughs> a bag of popcorn so I could carry it to the theater and take it in. And that way I'd get in for free. There you now, go. He was, he was best friends with the theater manager. I'm sure he could have just said, can you, can you let Michael in for free? But I think my dad was too embarrassed to think I was getting him free. So he felt like if the other people in the movie theater saw I was working and they wouldn't complain, how does that kid get in free? And so that started it. And uh, and then it was just for a long, long time. I just always loved going to movies uh, as I was getting older and I'd go with my friends. Uh, I'd always organize the trip to the movies in Oregon where it rains a lot in the spring. When summer came, they'd say, well, why would we want to go to the movie theater? Because it's sunny out. We can stay out. And I said, it'll still be sunny when the movie's over. <laughs> Let's just go to the matinee, you know. And uh, that was it. And and out of that grew this desire to work in the movie business, knowing nothing about what that involved. Nothing. I mean, even when I was in college at that time at University of Oregon, they didn't have any film classes, even film studies, let alone filmmaking. So I did other things. I thought going to Hollywood was a pipe dream. Until finally, after I'd gotten a master's and I taught school for three years, it reached a point where I thought, if I'm ever going to do this, now's the time. So I just trucked on over to Hollywood, knowing nothing, and you know, jumped off the turnip truck and then started learning about different things. And I, I learned to be a reader, reading scripts, and that's how I started. 
So, so I if, guess you could say it all grew from that, from those bags of popcorn. Yeah. And there was another thing I came across in your book too. Your mom was an English teacher. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so do you feel like that had to do with it as well as the fact that she loved the, you know, the, 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 the language, and then you kind of fell in love with the story and the movie behind it as well? I think it had something to do with a couple things. One, I think uh, as a writer, I think I'm better as a writer because she was like a stickler for grammar and English and so on and correcting that. It wasn't like she made me diagram sentences or something when I grew up. She only taught for one year. She, she was the first person in her whole family to ever go to college and she graduated, taught for one year, but by then she had met my dad and they got married and then she didn't, at that time, working was a little unusual, so she just stopped. <clears throat> she also... Uh, she also loved like Shakespeare, I remember, and other things. So I think that her English background was more contributed to my, uh, my writing ability, let's say. However, her family, and, and from when I grew up, her family, there were a lot of stories being told. I mean, the, the family sort of grew out of that. I remember still stories I heard as a kid, just about weird things that happened in the family. And I think subconsciously, one of the things I picked up was that the stories that are funniest, the stories that are most interesting that they always told were about bad things that happened. Mm. And it, it was decades later before I finally realized that A, stories are designed to create emotion and B, more than anything else, emotion grows out of conflict. So that was sort of inlaid subconsciously, I so assume. But I think coming from a family where storytelling was common, not, uh, not, re not uh, uh, looked at as anything special or different, that's just what they did. I think that may had more connection for me with loving movies and things like that. It helped have a, 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 an English teacher help me through school because I was always ahead of everybody who knew what a, you know, a preposition was and things like that. Yeah, I love that. And you kind of said in, in passing that you just one day you decided to jump on a truck and head to Hollywood without really fully understanding everything that was evolved with it. And, and if I remember correctly, in another interview that you did with actually with Tim Schur, who Tim has been on the on the show as well, which is, oh, which is awesome. Yeah, I, cool. I, I, I love Tim. But uh, you had you were a preschool teacher at the time. Is that correct? So like you you just decided to completely jump and just have blind faith that you were going to, you were, you weren't doing quite the things that you wanted to do. And so you just wanted to just make a change and make it happen. Or can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, well, going back, I, after I graduated from college to, to keep my draft deferment, because this was at a time when they still drafted kids into the army and during the height of Vietnam is when this was going on. And so the one way you could avoid getting draft, if you, you could get a deferment, if you were in a job that they considered to be not necessarily necessary, but really contributing and so on. So my master's degree was a program in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was teaching at a low income housing project school. And so they saw that as contributing to the public or so on. And so that got me a deferment. And by the time I finished my master's, the, the, the draft wasn't over, but they had the lottery and so on. So, but that program, I learned, I got a degree in early childhood. So I was learning about teaching kids six from six to, to you know, or five years old, eight years old. And then there was a program, I think it still exists called Head Start, a preschool program. So I went back to Oregon after I finished that two year 
two year gig. And I, for three years, I taught, uh, it was a preschool, it was a Head Start program in a rural town in Oregon. And then, and then that ended <clears throat> just because they didn't have enough kids for that county. And I was tired of it anyway. And with a sort of a side trip to see a friend in Phoenix, then I decided to come to LA. But it wasn't really as courageous as it might sound because I'd been <laughs> avoiding and avoiding. And finally, I was dating a woman who got accepted into a nursing program in LA. And so I figured, well, if she's going, maybe I could go too. And, and, you know, and it gave me enough emotional support to get to Hollywood. Literally, I was, I found an apartment in Hollywood because she and I broke up about that, just about the time the, the car was being parked. So that didn't work out, but it got me there. <laughs> and then, so I got this, apartment in Hollywood, this studio apartment, and was listening to gunfire every night as I fell asleep. But uh, I found a film school that uh, that uh, I got into just this little school. It had no credit, no grades, but I didn't care about that. I had enough of that school, and I just started taking classes. <clears throat> so it was, you know, it was it was one of those things that I always thought nobody really goes to Hollywood and I wasn't particularly courageous or haven't been at any point in my life, but I think I just felt like, okay, there were no more excuses. I didn't have any great job at that point. I was single. And then I had this little bit of emotional support to get there. And once I was there, then, then I started getting into it. And then I loved what I was doing because I was learning about scripts and writing synopses and more about movie making and so on. Love that. Well, there, I'm going to refrain from asking a bunch of other things that I was, I was curious to ask, because I think it's a perfect segue into like the, the stuff that you were, you were just leading into. One of the things that I admire so much about the way that you teach is that you strip things to the course, the core element of, of what story is and you you just you teach from very basic first principles so i i want to ask a very very basic question for everyone but what is a story but just off the top of my head what i'd say is what a story is is creating or recreating events that are not actually happening at that moment but but getting whoever is hearing or reading that story a picture in their mind of what's going on hmm. so it's it's recreating or creating an event when the event itself is not literally going on. Even if you're talking about a play, you know, those people aren't really in an apartment or they're not really fighting and so on. So I think that's it. It's all about, it's all about imitating life, I guess you would say. I mean, I think I learned this at college. Tolstoy said all art is imitation. It's mm. imitating life and trying to give it enough uh verisimilitude getting people to suspend their belief enough so they can they can imagine it's happening even if it isn't really happening and that would apply to cave paintings of you know people hunting and you know animals and so on now when it comes to creating a story my approach to it is or any story to me there's really I know what you read said there's three, so I'll say those three. But I've developed, I've, I've changed that into five, hmm. and but the key, the the main three are character, desire, and conflict. Okay, so there uh, there's uh, a character who's the hero, who's the main character of the story. That character must want something that we care about, that's compelling, that's very important to that character anyway, and that they have to pursue. 
and there have to be obstacles, difficult obstacles that character has to overcome in order to achieve that thing that he or she is pursuing. Um, now, the, 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 uh, the two other things that seem essential to me are, number one, we have to empathize with that character because if it's going to be a good story, it's hard to imagine. We have to feel we have to feel like we've become that character in some way as we are uh, imagining what's going on if we're reading it or hearing it or watching it on the screen. And the other thing that's absolutely critical is a good story always has some transformation. The, the, the thing that must change in a story is the circumstances for that hero have to change. They have to be in a different place. They maybe they've, pers- you know, been trying to find, you know, buried treasure, and now they have the treasure. Or they want to win the love of the the man of their dreams, and now she's won that character's love. But on deeper level, if if you want to go that deeply, one of the things I love to explore in stories is there will be an inner transformation, and that transformation usually, at least in the way I look at it, is a transformation from living in fear to living courageously. There's something stopping the character besides external obstacles like villains and and forces of nature or diseases or whatever. And that is the character is afraid of something and they have to overcome their own fear in order to achieve what they want. So I think a character, empathy with our character, desire, conflict, and transformation. Yeah, love that. And I think one of the things I love what you teach is like, you're, you're right. We, we feel like we go through these journeys ourselves as we hear these stories being told. And so we, like you say, it allows us to be more courageous and do things that we normally wouldn't be able to do. And we're able to kind of subconsciously experience somebody going through this and kind of give us the kind of push, push over the ledge to maybe do things and make, make change in our lives as well. Yeah, that's my theory. I mean, I I choose to believe that. I don't know if I can point to, you know, scientific hard evidence that that is the case. But to me, I I think really good stories, whether they're speeches or, or novels or movies or in webinars or whatever it might be, really good movies inspire us. And I think they inspire us to live beyond our limitations at times. Now, it doesn't mean we would go see one movie and then come out and we are totally transformed. And now we're going to be courageous and before sure. we were <laughs> But I think it's like it's like a drip system. You know, I think each time we see again and again characters exhibiting more courage or see that that's really the path to uh, self-definition, that's the path to individuation, or that's the path to real living better. As Will Smith said in in that interview I did, he said, stories tell us how to live better. And I think the way we learn that is by seeing the way the characters have changed. And as you said, or as I said, because we identify with that character, then it's us that are, that are experiencing that change. And then we just have to take that feeling of change or that feeling of success and then transfer it into our real lives and say, yeah, I already had that experience subconsciously or you know unconsciously or whatever but now i i have a better shot at having that experience yeah in real yeah 
Yeah, absolutely love that. And and you know, you just mentioned in passion passing. I would highly encourage anybody to listen to the interview that Michael did with Will Smith. It's absolutely incredible on 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 their collaboration and their relationship on working on I Am Legend and all that other stuff. And actually, that's a a perfect segue. I was hoping maybe if you could share. Uh, you kind of have this unique philosophy of doing things that are fun and doing something that was fun actually ended up leading to that relationship with Will Smith and eventually actually Russell Brunson as well. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you ended up developing those relationships and what was the initial start of it? Yeah, uh, the thing about fun, because I get asked that, and if I look at my career and think about what were the watershed moments what were the what were the things i did that really moved my career forward that really helped me get to where i am now which where i am now is getting to do something i just love doing and i have been able to do that for a long time and the one thing i would maintain is almost none none of the th- the things that contributed none of them had anything to do with what you're supposed to do if you want to be a success uh, not in, in traditional terms. I, I'm terrible at networking. I don't like to mingle. I don't like to go to those, you know, mixers or things like that. Uh, I, I, I did the one thing probably I did that's more cut and dried or was more along those lines is the very first job I got was as a reader, someone who reads scripts for agents and producers who don't want to bother because most of the scripts that are floating around Hollywood are just absolutely dreadful. And the way I got that job was to get on the phone and I probably made a hundred phone calls to every agency and every production company I could find in the directory until one person, one agent says, okay, come in, I'll give you a script. If you do a good job with it, I'll hire you. And so that was the last, the first, probably the only time I did that, follow this path. But what has led to it, if I look at the things that really made a difference, they were all things that I chose to do just because they sounded like fun. And fun to me means, it's sort of a broad definition, it means uh, fully engaged by it, fully passionate about it, living, uh, living, fully committed to that. It's something you re- like. Like work is work is fun. If you could look at what you do as fun, it doesn't mean every moment you're happy. It means there's going to be difficulties and so on. And so, in the case of Russell Brunson and Will Smith, it so happened that some years before. I had done uh, a seminar, and the reason I, I I was at that point I'd been going around the world and all over the U.S. teaching weekend seminars in um, on screenwriting, and also I'd get invited to a whole lot of writers conferences, and so all of us who did that, all of us who were the initial story consultants or script consultants in Hollywood and so on, we'd all meet each other because we were always going to the same conferences and, you know, talking one after the other and so on. And, and one of those people was Christopher Vogler, who became a friend years and years ago. And so we were hanging out and I said, you know, we should do something together because I love sharing the stage. And his Chris Vogler, for those of you who don't know, he wrote a book called The Writer's Journey, and he's like the person more responsible than anyone from bringing the Joseph Campbell approach to myth and storytelling into Hollywood. And so he's like, his whole foundation of what he does is based on, on myth and Joseph Campbell's hero's journey process. And so that's sort of his thing. And I said, well, why don't, since you're all about the hero's journey and I like to go deeper into character, why don't we call it the hero's two journeys? So we did that. And again, I, I'm almost ashamed to say, I never thought about turning it into a 
to a recording until the <laughs> week of. And I thought, well, I should. So I found somebody who was a fairly dreadful cinematographer, but she said, you know what you're doing. So I got a video. And then somebody came along and said, well, if you've got a video, I'll, I'll produce the video for you and so on and so on. So this video is called The Heroes Two Journeys. It's still there. You can go to my website and it's still available to buy or download and so on. But it happened that um, somehow Will Smith, had it had been recommended to Will to see that video. And because of that, I found out later after when I first got called by, by his assistant to say he wanted to meet with me to talk about I Am Legend. And I said, well, how does he even know who I am? He said, well, he has your book because I had written a book called Writing Screenplays That Sell. But I think mostly it was because he loved what you had to say on this video. And that's how I met him. And then years, years after that, um, Russell, who was partnering with somebody on a uh, uh, on a seminar that he was doing for their followers, his name was Dagan Smith. Dagan had seen it. He said to Russell, we need to get this guy come to talk about this to us. And so that's how I met Russell. And uh, and I talked when I made presentation to all the Internet marketers that were their followers. I just said, I don't know anything about internet marketing whatsoever, but here's how stories work. And I laid it out. And Russell really liked that. In fact, I didn't know he was going to do that. But in his book, Expert Secrets, he says how he says something like, I always thought I was pretty good at storytelling until I met a guy named Michael Haig. And he took that Heroes to Journeys approach. And then he he, you know, jumped off of that and developed that into his you know, epiphany bridge process for creating webinars and selling product online. But nowhere in that process did I do anything. I never said, geez, I'd love to meet Will Smith. I would not begin to know how to do that. And I honestly didn't even know who Russell was when I got invited. It's just, there are these two guys, they're really marketers. Would you be willing to go talk? They'll pay you. And I said, sure. <laughs> and, that and then we got, we got to be pals after that and, uh, and so on. That's such a blast. Just having fun. I love that as a huge takeaway is like all the serious things, you may not have to do all of them the way society tells you that you need to do them. And so yeah. that, 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 that's awesome. Uh, so another thing I wanted to, to double down on is the, the fact that this is kind of related to click funnels and funnel hackers. Um, I, I listened to the interview that you did on funnel hacker TV. And one of the things that you said is that you, you ask questions in a way that storytellers aren't even asking themselves and inside of, um, uh, storytelling made easy. You you give these lists of questions and I would highly recommend everybody to get the book first of all, but also if you go to storymastery.com slash corporate questions or storymastery.com slash case study questions, um, they, Michael provides these lists of all these incredible questions to help you formulate and create and tell better stories. But the, the question I wanted to ask you, Michael, is do you have any particular favorite questions to ask that elicit an emotional response that uh, create more compelling narratives for stories, or at least help people to tell more compelling narratives. Okay. Well, let me ask you a couple of things to, to clarify. Sure. Because are you, because I, I list lists, I got a million lists, you know? Okay. So in, in my book, there are long lists of questions that if you're creating a story in business and you want to create a story about someone who worked with you, let's say you're a singing coach. Okay. And so you want to get people to hire you as a singing coach, then you need stories about at least one story about somebody who coached and then they went on to be successful as a singer. 
Okay, so when you're formulating those, you may have had the experience of working with a person, but you need to go back to that person and say, let me ask you some questions about what that experience was. And those are questions are what you're, you know, like what was your life before you met me? And, and, and what did you like most? And what was hardest about the process? And there's just a lot of questions because it's a way of extracting more emotional content and more, more depth into the story than just what you know by having worked with a person. Because you might know all about their singing, but not what their life was before and after working with you. So there's that. But then there's also other questions you want to ask, no matter what kind of story. In fact, even if you're writing an autobiographical story, and by writing, I mean writing it to say on the stage, writing in a webinar, writing in a sales pitch, using it for a book, a nonfiction book about how to do something or be a better person or whatever it might be. So the first questions, the sort of core questions have to do with what I was talking about as the essential components. You've got to answer the question, okay, first of all, who's the hero of the story? If it's about you, you got to make sure you're the hero. And by the way, that does not mean someone who's heroic. That's all I mean is the protagonist, the main character. But in the story, that person will usually become heroic. They will find that courage. But who is this person? You got to ask, what was that person's life before they started going after this goal? You got to have sort of a a before picture of the person. So at the end of the story, you can paint an after picture to see how that change has taken place and what were the obstacles that they faced. But when I'm coaching someone on their story, because they'll usually have those elements, when I say there's the story they're creating, whether it's about them or someone else, my single favorite question to ask that's the most productive is what terrifies the hero of this story? What, is, mm. what are they afraid of? more than anything, because when you get to that level of fear, that's almost by definition going to take you to a deeper level. And when I'm working with people who are telling uh, autobiographical stories or developing those, and I ask that question, then that'll be a hard one to answer. Or oftentimes the first answer they give will not really be the right one. There, It's the, sort of the the expected answer, you know, well, I'm afraid of failing. Well, yeah, you know, we're really not as afraid of failure. So I would say failing is not pleasant. Failing is very uncomfortable, but it's very familiar. We've all failed many times at many things. But if you could go deeper and say, maybe the fear is really success. Maybe the fear is really you don't want to change because you're afraid your family and friends won't like you anymore. Maybe you don't want to exceed the success your father or your mother achieved. Maybe you don't want to go against, maybe you're afraid of, of doing something that isn't consistent with the way you were raised um, in terms of, you know, like, uh, like one of the things for me is, you know, it wasn't stated this way, but what after working with these things for decades and lots and lots of therapy, I realized one of one of the sort of rules I I had I've always carried is make sure nobody gets upset. I've got to make sure that everybody's kind of taken care of emotionally. Like I don't want to do anything to make you feel bad or whatever. But avoiding upsetting people and being a success in Hollywood are not really don't really that well. It doesn't it doesn't mean the alternative is being mean. It means you gotta stand up for who you are and you gotta fight for what you think is right. And you gotta you can't you gotta put yourself first 
in order to do the good things you want to do very often. So it's those kinds of fears that are going to lead to that deeper level. And when you get and the reason that's so important is because especially if you're using stories for business, if you want to be a screenwriter, it's good, but you could write a screenplay like a James Bond movie or Indiana Jones movie, and there's not really much depth to the character, but it's so emotionally involving because it's just a great story and there's lots of, of big action and lots of visible conflict. But if you're writing a story for, for marketing, if you can get to the level of vulnerability when you talk about yourself, or you can get to the level of fear that stops the, the characters in the story, generally it's those fears that will be universal. And so the people you want to read the story because you want to persuade them to buy your product or, or buy into your process or, or just live better by following your principles that's what the audience, that's what the readers of that story are going to connect with most deeply. Because your story might be about a singing coach or a singer, and they don't coach and they don't sing and they don't care about that. But if that singer is afraid that they're just not good enough to, to do what they want to do, every, every one of us feels that way. Every yeah. one of us thinks we're a fraud at times. Yeah, absolutely. And if, as you're listening to this right now, just think about how you can apply that. Like what terrifies the hero of the story? That is a monster, insanely valuable question. So like Michael was saying, like as you explore what your hero's journey story is, or as you interview your clients and you're pulling out testimonials, if you can get to that deepest level of core human emotion, that's really what's going to make your story stick or the stories of your clients stick in order to move people forward. And so um, Michael, moving forward into kind of like the, the work that you're, I mean, the work that you've well, been me, doing, but you, okay. yeah, well, I'm ahead. sorry, let me stop you. Cause I want to say one more thing about that. I'm going to take over your show. I hope go that's for okay. it. And I want to say one more thing because that's a real, when you're, when you're developing or working on your own career or moving forward, it's a great question to ask yourself. But mm -hmm. what I, what I also want to say about that is it's, it's not enough to just say, well, you should be more courageous. Don't be so afraid. And what I think you need to understand is in a well-told story, if you think of movies, go to any Hollywood movie, uh, it's not the character saying, okay, I want to stop being afraid. Sometimes they aren't even aware or won't admit that they are afraid. It's all just buried or on a subconscious level. But the way the heroes overcome their fear is they want something so badly that they will do whatever is necessary to achieve it, even if it means letting go of their protective persona or identity and stepping out of that comfort zone and taking that risk. So one of the ways personally, I think you can tap into that is really, first of all, when you, when you have a goal, be very specific, give yourself a visible finish line. If your goal is, I want to be a success, no matter what your endeavor is, I want to be a successful speaker or, or bricklayer or whatever. There's no way of knowing what does that mean? Unless you ask yourself, what does that mean? How will I know I'm a success? So if you make the goal more specific, I want, you know, I want to be able to build a brick wall all by myself. I, I have no idea. I've never, never been or known a bricklayer. It just popped into my head. But anyway, whatever it is you want, Make that goal as specific as possible and don't make it something that's going to take you decades. It's the next big thing you want to accomplish. That's number one. But then before you start, then ask yourself, well, why do I want that? 
what will it mean to my life if I'm able to achieve that next level, if I'm able to accomplish that? And if you keep reminding yourself, this is why I'm doing this. This is the life I want to have. This is the, the success and stay in that space so that you're reinforcing that desire and reinforcing the value and the benefits of doing that. It's focusing on that that will give you, that will enable you to overcome those fears. If you focus on all the reasons you can't do it, then you're going to get what you're focusing on, which is the inability to do it. But if you focus on what you want and why you want it and really envision that or, or, or affirm that or whatever. And the other thing, of course, heroes of stories almost always have is somebody to help them. They have what I call a reflection character, a sidekick, a mentor, a teacher, uh, a coach, a best friend, a parent, a, a sibling, whatever, a spouse. But if you if you connect with people who will support you in that pursuit and then stay focused on why you want it, that's how you go about overcoming the fear. Not just saying, I've got it. Because when somebody says, don't be afraid, that doesn't help. We all know we should be more courageous, but it's how do I be more courageous that's important. Okay. Absolutely. Back, no, back to you, you, back to you, you, took, you took me exactly where I wanted to go and that you, you address it a whole bunch of different components that, that make a part of your framework of storytelling made easy. And you, you, you talked about, you know, the different emotional layers that we can add inside of the story. So I would kind of love, I know we're in a podcast format, so we don't have all the time in the world, but I think the way that you've laid out the storytelling made easy framework so that people can understand, okay, if I'm going to tell a story, whether it's my origin story or the story of a, a client or a story on a webinar, whatever it may be, that we can kind of hit these beats that are really important to make sure that we include to make sure the stories are as successful as possible. So would you mind maybe kind of walking us through the high level of what this framework is and how we can leverage it inside of our businesses? No, I wouldn't mind at all. In fact, I think <laughs> when you're sending this out, there's going to be a link that you have that's going to be under it or however people are receiving this podcast. And it, if you if you go to that link, it's uh, uh, storymastery.com that's my website that's where you would go to see that interview with Will and the other things we talked about but if it's, if it's uh, storytelling made easy slash and then uh, success I think, have, I think success, it's story yeah. I think it's, I, it, whether no, or not that's it I'll make sure it's included in the show notes yeah, so people yeah. will be able to so access if you it. click there then you can download a chart that's going to give a lot more extra free it's, now, it's a chart that will lay this out in, in a way that will be easier to understand. I'll run through the six steps, but but keep that in mind. So as you're listening to this, if you pause or watching this, if you pause, get that and download it. Before you listen to me talk about this, it'll be easier to follow along. But yep. here's here's what here's what the key beats are. It's what I call six-step success stories. These are the six steps that the hero, that the protagonist of your story must go through to make the story work. They have to stop at all these. These are the six beats they have to have. Step number one is the setup. And that's what I said earlier. You've got, we've got to see a picture of the everyday life that the character in the story is living before they start this journey. You don't start, you don't start as, as you know, you don't start the story with somebody rehearsing for a big concert. <laughs> you started before they got the opportunity to be in that concert. So then they have to start practicing. So what's that, what's that setup? What's their everyday life? And it's when that 
characters introduced, that's when you create the empathy for that character. That's when you get us to feel sorry for them or worry about them or like them. So we really want to be inside them experiencing the world. Second thing is there has to be a crisis. In that everyday life where the character is somewhat static, some new event has to take place that's going to push, move that character to action. Now, it could be that they get, could be a positive opportunity, a new job, uh, an offer to be on stage in a play or concert or whatever, as I just said. Uh, it could or be- Or bricklaying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be an inheritance of somebody. It could be uh, uh, getting a new client that they, that, that this is going to be the best client they've ever worked with, whatever. Okay. And then when that happens, we've got to know how do they react? They've got to, you know, they've got to be in a period of questioning, like, what am I going to do? It may seem great that I inherit all this money, but I don't know what to do with a lot of money. So now I have to find help or so on. Now, it could be a negative event. That's why I call it a crisis. Could be the loss of a job, a medical diagnosis that's negative in some way. It could be uh, the loss of a love or whatever. And now they have to figure out, how am I going to deal with this new situation I'm in? And out of that will come usually a mentor, a guide, someone who's going to help them. But also that's when they have to, in response, define this is my finish line. This is my visible goal. This is what I want. And it's not just to be happy. It's those generalized goals that weaken the story, just like I was saying when you're applying it to yourself. Okay, steps three and four are pursuit and conflict. That's pretty straightforward. Pursuit is what are the steps that the hero takes to achieve the goal? And conflict is what are the obstacles they have to overcome? And it's the conflict that will create the emotion. Okay? Until you reach step five, which is the climax. And you know what that is. If you've ever seen a movie, it's the moment when the hero wins. It's the moment when the hero wins the race or stops the serial killer or, or you know, gets, you know, uh, gets the the get declares or the person of their dreams declares their love and they're going to be together forever and so on. So that's the moment of usually victory. Occasionally it's a failed thing or, but not in business stories. That's kind of rare. There's a place for a failure story, but we won't get into that. That's a bad example. You can follow up later as a good one, but usually the climax is whatever it is, it's got to resolve the goal. But then the sixth and absolutely essential component or step is the aftermath. And in business, this is critical because you need to paint a picture of the new life the hero is living because they went on this journey. It's not just the moment of victory. It's how has their life changed days or weeks or even years after achieving that goal? And if you're doing this to persuade somebody to do anything, to get them to buy or hire you or follow your, uh, your model for how to live, if you want to persuade them to do that, then you want to paint a picture of an aftermath that matches the life they wish they were living. Not to every detail. It's got to be consistent with the, with the, the hero of the story. But for example, in the internet marketing world, Every internet marketer I've ever encountered or coached or met, one of the main things that makes them want to be an internet marketer is they want not just money, but they want independence. They want, they, they want their anti-job, okay? They don't want a nine to five, I have a boss, I punch a clock kind of existence. So if you're telling a story to persuade somebody 
on how to be a better internet marketer because you have a, a, a piece of software you want to sell, then the aftermath needs to have some representation of now this person's life involves wealth and freedom. So they maybe they have a beach house, maybe they're up in the mountains, maybe they're living on a yacht or whatever, but that's the aftermath. But that's not the aftermath for everybody in every category. So you want to match your prospect's desire with what your hero was able to do. And that's yeah. it. I kind of wanted to accept, but those are the six steps. It's just setup, crisis, pursuit, conflict, climax, and aftermath. Love that. So again, if you're listening, you want to follow along, go to storymastery.com slash success and grab this framework that he's put together for you to follow along. And the other thing I would encourage, we've talked about this before, but the if you go to Audible is where I consumed it, or I think, Michael, you have it on your site at storymastery.com, Heroes Two Journeys. This goes into this as well with, with many, many in in depth of the the both the inner journey and the outer journey that people are experiencing. So I uh, seriously, listening to this, right? if you're listening to my voice right now, go download those things. I can say like, this is, this is game-changing stuff of learning how to articulate your story more powerfully. And the way that Michael goes to super deep into it. You are missing out if you're not, <laughs> if you're not listening to the heroes two journeys and getting this thing. So go check that out. But in summary, like Mike, Michael just said, Oh, you want to add something, Michael? Well, I was just, I was just going to say, thank you for saying that. And also, I don't know if everybody got the connection, but for decades I've worked in Hollywood working on films. And it was when I got invited by people like Russell and uh, by uh, speakers that wanted my coaching and so on, and I started realizing story is story. So when I coach people on story, I'm always using movie and TV examples because that's really where I come from and that's how I develop this idea. So you could take that chart. You could take those six steps and I guarantee go see any Hollywood movie unless it's a biography that goes and covers decades, but pretty much go see any Hollywood movie and you're going to see it go through those six steps. So that's why we're talking to begin with about Hollywood. And now we're talking about business. Yeah. And like you say, and I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was like, you know, Hollywood does billions and billions of dollars each year. And all they're doing is telling stories. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's really what it is. And so I have a blast when I'm watching movies with my wife. Now that I've studied a hero's two journeys, it's like, oh, that here's the point. Here's the point of no return. <laughs> you know, here, here we're changing our scenes and we're moving. It's so much fun to look at it. And, like, and, your, and your wife is not considering yeah. divorce. Huh? She's like, stop, you're rooting. I'm not recommending that to any, any one of your followers don't don't take what you learn from me on this chart and start reciting it as you're watching a movie because i'll just piss people off just enjoy yeah. the movie you can talk about how smart you are about it after the fact but don't don't stop oh you know what's going to happen now it's going to be a major setback because that happens with the three-quarter mark yeah, absolutely. I, I will say usually the diagnosis, uh, the diagnosis is after the movie. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll point it out yeah. afterwards. So, so I, I do yeah. adhere to your suggestion of not ruining the movie for everyone, but again, just a, a fun thing to do. Uh, another thing that I wanted to make sure we talked about is you, you have a bunch of really impactful and powerful rules of thumb when it comes to telling more stories. So like, I know one of them that you talk about is that if you're having story problems, that all roads lead back to the hero's outer motivation. So do you want to maybe touch on that? a little bit and maybe share a few other of the uh, important things that we need to keep in mind as we use this framework to make sure that we're moving on the right path. Yeah, um, that that grows out of uh, especially working with screenwriters and filmmakers or novelists, but, but uh, 
movies consist of three acts, and each act has two stages, which are similar to the six the the, the six steps. Only when I'm talking with when I'm coaching screenwriters and movie makers, we're talking about stories that last 90 minutes to two hours and sometimes longer. So there's more to to more time to fill, more sure. time to get into. Stories for business, rare. In fact, it's almost impossible to think of a story for business that would be that. Oftentimes, mm. stories for business get down as short as a one sentence testimonial, and you should still apply these, uh, you know, things to it. But so in screenwriting, and it is, it does apply to to other kinds of storytelling. But where it, where it came out is there was always people would always encounter problems in Act Two in the second half of the movie somewhere between the midpoint and when it came to the big chase at the end, and they wouldn't know what to do. And so they'd say, my first half is great, but now this doesn't work. And so the maxim I started using is, if you're having story problems, all roads lead to, as you said, the outer motivation. That's my term for that visible goal. Mm -hmm. So so and it, and the way that applies to business as well is oftentimes when I coach someone in business, no matter how many times I say the goal needs to be a visible finish line. Here's the I, I know I'm digressing here a little, but the, the litmus test to give any story as far as what's the goal is, ask yourself, say, my hero's goal is this. OK, this is what my hero wants. And you state it as a visible finish line. Say that to, to two different people separately and mm. say to them, okay, tell me what will it look like when my hero achieves that goal? And if they don't create a picture that's very similar, like if it's a love story, they're both going to picture two people getting married, saying I love you or riding off into the sunset. They're not going to say two people cooking dinner, okay? But if, you, if your goal is for – Oftentimes I'll see this, you know, uh, it's a story about uh, someone who wants to find true love. Okay. I don't know what that, I mean, that, it's not that I can't picture it. It's just that I picture so many different things. Is true love when they first say I love you, the first time they kiss, first time they go to bed together? Does it, do they have to get married? There's no end point to that. So always look first at the visible goal. And is it something that, that when you say what it is, we can immediately picture in our mind's eye, this is what achieving that goal will look like. In the same way, it's like, imagine going to a track meet and, you're, and, it's, and you have a race that's, uh, you know, the uh, runners are running the 440. Okay, so they all take off and then there's going to be a finish line and the person that crosses wins. Okay, but suppose you went to a track meet and says, okay, everybody, we're gathering these runners. We're going to set off the gun and they're all going to run fast. So, so, and bang, and now they're just running around. And it's like, well, <laughs> when is this going to be over? And it sounds ludicrous, but I want it to sound ludicrous because you would never go to that track meet. It wouldn't I love that visualization. make any sense. But in stories, you've got to have the same kind of finish line. So yeah. that's, that's what that one means. Um, another thing, and this has to do not at all with screenwriting, but it has to do with business writing. And when you're writing a story for business, it has to be true, but it doesn't have to be factual. Mm. And what I mean by that is, let's say you're using a story, you're making a sales pitch, and you want somebody to buy your company's 
uh, piece of software. Okay. Now, if you if if that if that piece of software has historically uh, been able to double productivity in in the companies that used it, okay, that's true. You can say this will double your productivity. But the story about that doesn't have to be factual. You could tell a story about a person, your, your hero could work for a certain kind of company, but then when you say what happens and the steps they take, you could pull some steps that were taken by one person in one company and some steps that another one took at another to make the story better. Mm. But you're not, you're, but it's still true. It's just illustrating it in a more succinct or effective or powerful way. But what you can't do is say, when, they, when this person used our product, they doubled creativity when in reality that product never doubled, never increased creativity for anybody. Right. That's not true. You can't, no, it's an ethics question, but also it's not that people want to tell lies. It's that people too often get caught up. Well, it didn't really happen this way or, you know, that, you know, and then they tell the one thing that happened to one character in real life doesn't really work that way. You know, you want to make it a good emotional story so you can take different elements and create a composite character and have them succeed. But you can't promise they'll succeed if nobody's succeeded with it before. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I want to highlight back on your, your previous point too, about asking two separate people about the story. I think that is super relevant because I think in many companies, you would be surprised, even if you ask the employees of the company, if they're able to articulate that, you know, the founding story of the company the same way, or at least have similar outcomes. So that's a litmus test that you can run in your company right now is talk to your customers, talk to your employees about the main stories that are important to your business. And I think that that's part of what makes an idea spread is if somebody is able to hear a story and then rearticulate and communicate that story with some some effectiveness. And so that's a quick test that you can run right now if this is something that you need to do. Because if you want to, like I said, increase the, the virality of your message, this is a powerful thing is understanding what the story is behind it. Yeah. And along with that, now that you mentioned it, if you're telling a story for your company, you you're always want to have in your arsenal of stories at least two. You want to have an origin story for the company and you want to have a, uh, a successful client story. And you and if you weren't involved in the founding of the company, you probably maybe want three. Okay, but the difference between an origin story and a successful client, an origin story, let's say it's your own company. The story is about how you came to found the company and you wanted to create the company because there was a problem that existed in the world that you wanted to solve and nobody else was doing the best, had found the best way to solve that particular problem. So if it's a paint company, nobody was creating paint that was, you know, that wasn't detrimental to the environment. Or nobody was creating paint that, that dried in less than a half an hour, whatever you wanted to do. So this was the problem. Nobody else was doing it. So we worked and worked and worked to figure out the formula. And finally, we did that. So the goal was to solve that problem. And the point of that story, it does two things. One, it creates more empathy with you as the hero of the story. And that means they'll empathize with you and your company because now they've been emotionally connected to you. But also what you're saying in that kind of story is, look, I founded this company or I created this product. Let's say you're trying to sell a piece of software you created or whatever. I did that because there was a problem no one else was taking care of. And I spent years and 
lots of money and got lots of education and lots of false starts and made lots of mistakes to finally get this. And now I'm letting you avoid all of that expense and all that time and all that money because now I've created this so you can use it and you don't have to go through all that like I did. That's the at a core what that kind of story is. The successful client story would be one where you've created the software and now you have a story about someone who used that software and they're the hero of the story. You're either not in that story at all, or if you're a coach, you're in the story as their guide, but you want to paint a picture of what was their life before they got the piece of software, whatever the product is, before they had to paint their house, okay? Or what was their life then? What, what happened that made them say, I've got to figure out a way to do this better. They've been given a big assignment at work or they, uh, they, were lo- they were losing money as an internet marketer and they hadn't found a way to make it more efficient or more effective or powerful. And then, they, and then they get that piece of software or you guide them with your coaching so they can accomplish whatever their goal is. And the reason that's critical is because as the founder of a company, the people who buy your product may not be that much like you because they don't want to found a company. They want to solve the problem that you figured out how they could solve it. But so the hero of that satisfied client, that is going to be an easy character for the people who are prospects to, because they're going to have the same problem that that person did. And you want to paint a picture of the new life that that person's living, which is exactly the new life. The people who buy your product would be able to do. Yeah. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's that's really important for us to understand what the core, the core, like if we're going to assemble an army of stories, what are the ones that we need to assemble and deploy in our businesses? I think that's very powerful. Yeah. So Michael, I know we're we're kind of coming up on time. There is something that I want to do that I'm really scared of doing. And so I'll let, I'll let, I'll give you, I'll give you. Well, now uh, you frighten me. Yeah, I know. If I go to black screen, if it goes right to black, it's, it was too scary it's, for me and I'm out of here. It's scary on my part. The scary okay. part is because I, I'm, t- I'm in front of this story mastery. I have, I have a story that I've told that I've, I've developed using some of your stuff. It doesn't fit all of the, the beats. It's about two minutes. It's kind of like what I would share on the podcast. And I thought a cool thing for people would see is like my attempt at it. And you know, maybe you picking it apart or giving me some feedback on it. So it's a hundred percent up to you, but I, I was, oh, I was no. wondering if maybe yeah. we could share that yeah. and go into it. Really I, quick. Yeah. Now the amendment, I would rather have done that for the last hour. Cause I, I love pontificating about story and talking about myself, but I'd much rather work on a story. So let's Let's hear it. Okay. All right. So, so uh, my entrepreneurial journey starts at Wisconsin Hills Middle School. So if you can picture when you're in middle school, you're sitting at your desk, the least favorite part of my day was when the lunch bell would ring. And if you can kind of picture when you're in middle school, the hall floods with the obnoxious sixth graders. They're excited about the one time of freedom that they have during the day. And for me, I hated it. And I would lag behind everybody else. And I keep this picture on my desk and I can show Michael right now. If you're listening, I have glasses, uh, kind of nerdy looking glasses, some Bugs Bunny teeth. I had a huge gap in my front teeth. And you may be wondering why would little nerdy middle school Brandon be hanging out behind everybody else? And the reason why is because I would go through the lunch checkout line. I'd have my plastic tray with my curly fries or chicken nuggets, whatever was on sale for the day. I put it down next to the lunch lady and I type in my student ID. And then up on the screen, it would, it would show Brandon Fong, zero dollars and zero cents. And the reason why it showed that is because my family needed some help financially. And I was super embarrassed by the fact that we needed some help. And so some days I would distract my friends from seeing that screen. Some days I would spend extra time in the bathroom. And um, 
part of the extra reason why this was super frustrating is because I went to a wealthy school district and where I felt like my friends could get whatever they wanted, their phones, video games, parents paid for, you know, whatever they wanted to do. But I had these nerdy glasses, like I said, and we just couldn't justify spending time on money on contacts. So I had to figure out a way to pay for contacts, what I wanted contacts. And I, I hated going through this at the time, but looking back at it, I'm so grateful for it. And my parents taught me from an early age that if I wanted to be successful, it wasn't about having the resources. It was about learning how to be resourceful. And one of the things that they taught me was how to connect with people. And that one of the ultimate ways you can be resourceful is learning how to connect with people. So they actually used to let me skip school when I was young, uh, you know, probably 16 or 17. And they would let me go to these local networking events. And they also showed me what was possible. They introduced me to successful people. I'll very remember very specifically meeting somebody they introduced me to. And he was a top sales performer and they had given him a ring that signified that he had made over a hundred thousand dollars in, in one year. And I remember putting this ring on my finger and my little fingers, and it was like this huge ring. And I just remember thinking about what it could be like to make a hundred thousand dollars and go on nice trips and all that kind of stuff. So coming kind of towards the end, if you fast forward a few years, I ended up leveraging these skills that my parents developed and taught me to connect with a really successful entrepreneur. And I ran his marketing for three years. I helped add over 100,000 students to his online courses. I launched my first ever product while I was working with him together. I made $45,000 the first week that we launched it. And I was also able to, blessed to say, I was able to travel to 23 different countries with my wife. And on top of all that, Jonathan, the guy I had reached out to, he got accepted into this really high-level mastermind called Genius Network. He needs to be making at least seven figures a year to be in this room. It cost $25,000 a year. And I also got to go and attend those meetings and meet some of these incredibly successful people. So the the kind of the, the the bow on top of all the story, and I know it doesn't fit like the, the climax or all the points, but there's two main takeaways I usually share with people when I'm on a show or something. I'll say, I learned from a very early age and I truly believe that you are just one connection away because I've seen that in my life, that whenever I've gone to the next level, it's been because I've met somebody and learning how to connect with somebody is absolutely one of the most powerful things that you, you do. And I have this process I teach called the magic connection method that opens the doors to incredible relationships after these years of sending millions of emails. And the other thing that is, is why I'm on this podcast right now, why I'm hanging out with Michael today is this mission of seven figure millennials is because I saw at Genius Network, you can have all the money in the world and still be miserable. Like, so that's why it's so important for me to create seven figure millennials to help people prioritize their happiness, health and relationships while making their biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. So that's kind of like the quick version that I would teach. I know it doesn't fit all the beats, but yeah, if you want to tear it apart, go for it. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to tear it apart, but I will have some suggestions. So you you st- you can go to black if 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 it if it gets too hard. But no, you, all got, good. you got you got a great story. You got a, a good a good philosophy and and thing that you're trying to pitch with that and also gives a good sense of who you are and what sort of what you stand for, what your principles are, and so on. Uh, what I would suggest is that you, number one, separate those out because they became a little entangled there. And you started out telling a story, but you didn't finish that story. In, in other words, and what I really think you want is you want this to be a, a, a sort of a two-story thing. It's not exactly a failure story, but I'll tell you what I mean. And and then uh, and when when you practice it more, you want to make it more succinct. And I'll tell you about that. So let's start back with the story part when you're a kid. Now, uh, when you just at the very beginning, what I would do is instead of talking like uh, I used to do this, and they would feel this way, and so on. Take us right there. 
say, I w- you know, I want to take you back to this school. I don't remember what the name of the school was. Now say right then, this was a very affluent school in this town. You know, almost everybody there was, was there. Uh, and, and you can either say, unfortunately, I was one of the, I wasn't in that group. I was one of the kids. My family got in just because we lived in, you know, in other words, create more empathy because you're not as affluent as most of the kids were. And I remember, and just say, I remember that at this time, all the kids on, on, on a day, all the kids in the room were getting excited because it was, it was this moment. They were watching the clock because at one at 12 noon, the bell would ring and they, we would all get to go to, to um, lunch. And in that room, 29 kids jumped to their feet with the bell and were scrambling to get to the, you know, and one of those kids was holding back and that was me. And the reason was that as we went through the line and then you say it now, I, I got lost in this one thing. At first I thought the reason you didn't want to see people to see your lunch card or whatever it was is because there was no money there and they would know you were poor. Mm. But then another, that, then it seemed like, no, you didn't want the picture to show because you had glasses, but they would have known that anyway. So what was it that was really embarrassing you about that card? That is a great, great question. I never realized it was interpreted that way. But basically what would happen is like for a normal kid, you would type in your meal and it would show the, the total for the meal was $3.15 or whatever. And so it would show the price that they would have to pay. But for me, because I was on the free lunch program, it showed that, you know, I got a discount and that I wasn't paying any okay. money for yeah. my meal because, yeah. okay. because you've got to make that very clear you mm. make okay that much clearer so you got to say but when i put mine in it would say zero and that was the signal that i was on a lunch program because we were poor and i didn't have to pay anything and i wanted nobody to know that i was getting a free lunch because we were poor like everybody else now here's what and so so and uh and so that's kind of the end of that story and say, so, uh, so all my life, I've, I've, you know, whenever I think about that, it brings pain. But then something happened. But my parents did something because when you got into this, who your connections are, and so on, I had, I didn't get the connection between that and that story. So that story is about a kid who's poor, who doesn't want anybody to know he's poor. And so he pulls himself out. And then what I would say, and I wouldn't hold the picture up first, I wouldn't even show that picture necessarily. I mean, you can, but if you're going to say, but I was holding back because there was this one kid who was, who was it, who was holding back. It was a kid that sat in the back of the room. He wore a big glasses. He had a big gap in the teeth that looked like Bugs, Bugs Bunny. And that kid was me. And then you can show the picture. And say, because here I am, but you've already created the image of those things and say, but it wasn't how I looked that made me hold back. It was that whenever we paid for our lunch, you know, on our, we, everybody had a lunch card or a meal card or whatever. And then you talk about that. And then you got to, and you got to finish it by saying, and that was, that was 25 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever. And probably hasn't been a day goes by that I haven't thought about how painful that was. But 
even though we weren't well-to-do, my parents did one thing for me, and that is they taught me this. Now, here's where it started getting jumbled, because now you're going in a lot of directions. What I would do is I would think of one other moment, one story, what uh, like a second story almost where you say, they would introduce, they, they instilled in me the idea that you're as rich as the people you meet, or you're rich as the people you learn from. And then tell us about one person you got to see. And that one person taught you one principle. And that, and, and, and what I realized is if I had been able to do that, even back when I was six, I wouldn't have felt that way because with that, I learned this. Because if you're saying, because, because you've, you've lost the focus of this is what, this is the one thing I learned. This is what, this is the, the, the good side. This is the remedy I learned for that, what happened to me when I was a kid. And I love the story when you were a kid. Now, it does, but you're not going to try and encompass everything you ever learned. Just the one thing that's most related to that. So was it somebody that taught you that, money doesn't matter or was it somebody that taught you that or or you were determined never to be that poor so you taught you you made it your mission to to be you know to be wealthy enough or make enough money you'd never do that and then this is one person who taught taught you the key principle to doing that. but you need to just zero it in on one element then when you say and once i learned that then i was able to x then you can say, and once and, and from there, I was able to go on to create a podcast. My wife and I have been here and so on. And then you can, in the aftermath, you can say, been able to do all these things. But, but before you get into everything, be clear about the one thing that's related to that early childhood event that is one of the keys to being a success or the most important key. I, I literally, if like, if this were a movie, animated movie, I'd have a, a light bulb above my head right now, because like, this is because what, what my understanding was that like, I had to tell one story that combined everything together to hit all these beats or whatever. But my huge takeaway here is that, you know, you listen to this, pulling this back to you too, is that you could create these stories that live separately from each other, but are cohesive, right? Like I thought that I kind of had to have this free lunch story that transitioned to this, to transition to this. And that was my hero's journey story. But you're saying that it's like having, I can have this one impactful opening. It's almost like an opening scene, like a, like a prologue or like a, uh, you know, what the background was and then it flashes forward. And so I can tell multiple stories together that combine for this effect of the, you know, following kind of the hero's journey pattern. Is that correct? Okay. Well, yeah, not multiple stories. I wasn't saying you can do that. You can, you can have a whole arsenal of stories. I'm saying if you're going to start there with a story that's not really particularly resolved, it's just a painful thing. It's like a wounding experience for you. And now you're going to tell how you were able to overcome that. But I'm not clear on what you did to overcome it. And you're not going to be able to tell me I did 14 things and now I was able to do it. Just pick one that you think is most relevant to that or that is the most important principle. And then once you've mastered that principle, you can say to people, and as a result of that, as I continued learning, I was eventually able to do all these things. You're not saying you were able to do all those things because you've that one thing that happened when you were 18 or whenever it was. 
You're just saying that was one important thing. What's interesting to me is you're ending telling that story and you started by asking me a story when I was exactly the same age as you were in your story. It was the same thing. Mine didn't have an ending. It was just, this was a situation I was in. Now, the difference is you had a very painful experience and mine was not a wounding experience. Mine was a you know, formative experience because it helped me you know, love movies. But I didn't go on and say, and now I do this, this, and this. Then you ask me some other stories about Will and so on. But so I didn't, I wasn't trying to link that exactly. I just said that that's where I got my love of movies. And now we're going to talk about different elements of story. So it's, it's, it's important. I mean, the, the overall thing I'm trying to get across is uh, stay specific, s- narrow the focus of your story. So you're not trying to go all over the place, make the story about one goal you're going to achieve. And the one principle you got from doing that, And then you can go on and tell other stories or just summarize other things that grew out of learning that one principle. But you've got to get to that one thing. So we're very clear. Okay, I see. Because that instilled in him the desire never to have zero show up on his meal card again. And so and and that changed when he encountered this person or learned this one thing. So I think yours was the, the, the meeting the person who said, the wealth you have is going to be based on the people you know, not on how much money you have. But then you got to say, and so I made it my mission to start meeting people. And then think of, and the first one of those is this, or I met this person, or, or I was able to go on for that. But I, you got to be very clear, what's the message you're giving us about how we can overcome the feeling of, I don't have any money on my lunch card. Because we may not have had that, but we've, we all had, nobody gets out of childhood on skates. We all had those experiences when we felt like we were outsiders, when we were failures. And then they were formative experiences that helped us be what, does this make sense? Are you with me? Absolutely. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for your, the, the feedback that you've given here. And hopefully everybody listening to, you can think about how you could apply this to you specifically. How can you have that one specific moment where somebody showed up and said something to you and, and how can you incorporate everything Michael was just saying? And I, I just, like, like I said, from the very beginning, just very grateful what you teach. And I'm, I'm changing my interview style based on some of the stuff that I've, that I've learned from going deep in your stuff too. Cause I, I didn't never realized too, this is just kind of a, uh, a fun fact, but in, if you go and you read Story Mastery, you also talk about different openings of a story. And so when I do interviews, I like you said, you notice I, I asked you, a, I was trying to find that kind of first story to set the stage and kind of get the background, but I didn't realize I now I have a whole arsenal. So everybody listening ahead of time, if you have, if you hear me ask different questions about uh, framing a story in a different in a, a spot for an interview, it's because of what I learned uh, from Michael here too. So, <laughs> yeah. well, thank yeah. you. I got to yeah. say. I have never been interviewed by anyone who was had done so much research about me and my background, whether it was research you were doing. It's, it's not only very flattering, but it's really neat because you, you pinpointed the things you wanted me to bring out. So this has just been a great interview. I just enjoyed this immensely because who knows, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I haven't encountered anybody that experienced, I'm sure they have experienced all those, but it was very clear that you really knew what you were talking about and really had looked into different things that I've written and said and recorded and so on. So I appreciate that deeply. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do. That is one of the things I pride myself on is I do spend anywhere from 
two to 12 hours researching for these things. It takes a lot of time to read books and consume content. So yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm glad you enjoy this conversation as much as I've been enjoying it. So, and I know you've been very generous with your time and I know you got another meeting coming up here. So there's just kind of one quick last question, where can people find out more? And then we'll kind of wrap things up. So the, the question I've started to ask guests to kind of tie everything together with the theme of this podcast is, and I'm really interested for your perspective on this too, is like as somebody that has studied story structure, which so closely mimics the human experience and portrays these stories, I would love to for you to maybe share what, what does happiness mean to you today? What does happiness mean to Michael? The first thing that comes to mind when I hear that question is that happiness is not the, the zenith that you're going for. It's not the top of the mountain. What you're really going for to me is fulfillment. And that's different because there'll be times when you're sad and times when you're happy and times when you're angry and all these other emotions. But what you want as much as possible is to live fully, to be fulfilled. And for me, for in my life, one of the keys to that fulfillment professionally has been just I, I'm blessed at, at having found a profession or it's not even a profession, but a, a route, a path, being on a path starting with movies led me to getting to help people change lives with the stories they tell. And that and that can be fun, it can be aggravating, it can be touching, it can be challenging, it can be so on, but it's always fulfilling. Just like, I, I don't know, people watching this anyway could maybe tell as I started talking, I love getting to do that. I love getting inside your story and that means your experience and seeing how can you convey that even more so so it would be it would be sort of the apex that you know would be certainly loving and being loved but also making the goal not so much just happiness all the time but always feeling like you're living a fulfilled life that you're def you're you're defining yourself and you you're making yourself the person you really want to be that that would be it so it's about fulfillment more than anything i think yeah that that was absolutely beautiful so i can't ask anything after that that's a perfect bow to to put on this so that, so the question that's not really a question is where i know people can find out more at storymastery.com and they can yeah. they can check out your your book so just tell us a little bit more about where we can find out about this incredible okay, stuff yeah. that you're up well, to well if you go to storymastery.com and there's that other link you have there that uh, it says success slash success to get that download but if you if you go to the website, you can see the interview with Will, but you can also learn about how you might work with me because I'm a consultant. I consult on story more than anything. Right now, there's no travel because we're all in lockdown or not not for too much longer, maybe if people are sensible. But um, when I have, you know, if you get on the mailing list and you find out, you know, where am I going to appear? Or when am I making presentations? And then the number one thing, and I don't know, I don't know what date it is that you are watching this or experiencing this, but right here we're in mid-March, and I'm hoping that in April uh, I will finally finish my more than a year project of creating a course called Hollywood Story Selling, and it's all about how you take story story principles that come out of Hollywood and use those in business and to be persuasive. And it's it's going to be a major, you know, online course that has like about 15 different modules on everything about that. So by the time you go to that website, there may be something there or very soon there will be 
about how you can experience that. So that's something to watch for too. But just go to the website and every, all will be revealed if you go to that website. Is that, so that's hollywoodstorytelling.com. Is that the site for that one? Or what is the site for that one specifically? I think the website is going to be hollywoodstorytelling.com. Yeah, but that's the name of the course. So I I suppose at a certain point you can Google it and you'll find out about it. It's just the thing I'm excited about. It's the the biggest thing I've done in a while. And so that'll be there. In the meanwhile, the other things are my book, the video of Heroes Through Journeys, my other books, if you're interested in screenwriting or filmmaking or novel writing. And then there's just lots and lots of free, free articles and things like that about story and all different aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just in summary, storymastery.com slash success, you can get the roadmap that we talked about. Michael's book, Storytelling Made Easy. You can go on Amazon. Highly, highly, highly well, recommend you can that. Also, like, well, you can buy it. You can get an autograph copy if you get it through my website too. Ah, well, there you go. There yeah. you go. Get an if autograph want, copy. Or download it. Yeah. Yeah. Heroes to Journeys. That like, I mean, like the, the Heroes to Journeys, I think. Sorry, I missed yeah. the the ahead of time, but yeah. listen to that on Audible or find it. Uh, go check that out. And again, it's going to put a different filter. Whenever you watch a movie, you'll have a different superpower filter that your friends won't have. So if anything, whether you apply it to your business or not. It's just a, a, a fun thing. So go check all that stuff out. Highly, highly recommended. And I just want to say to everybody listening, if you are brand new, this is the very first episode you've ever listened to. Thank you so much for coming. It has been an honor to have you hanging out with me and Michael today. And I hope you become a regular listener, subscriber. I bring on in pe- incredible people like Michael every single week. And so as you can tell, I go deep. I find the weird questions that people don't <laughs> ask. Uh, and if you're if you're returning, I just want to say thank you. You're what makes this possible. Truly appreciate you. And regardless if you're new or returning, I have a favor for you. And that is, I want you, if you've enjoyed this conversation with Michael and you have a friend that wants to learn how to leverage the power of story inside of their business, please please just share this with one friend that you really think that would benefit from Michael's work and, and really can have, you can change someone's life by sharing this podcast with them. Uh, if they can kind of turn things around and tell more effective stories and grow their business. So please go ahead and do that. And again, Michael, thank you so much for coming. This has been an absolute blast. And like I've said from the very beginning, I appreciate all your work and all you've done. Oh, thank you. It has been a blast and just great job. Brandon. I'm, I'm eager to see who else you have on and watch those as well. So thanks again. It was just an honor. Thank you. Hey, it's Brandon here again. And I have a quick favor to ask before you head off. And that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.